pit. Suey. Sorry, that's my uh, that's my Texas intro. Pig calling and yeehawing. Welcome back to the skunk, everybody. Uh, this will be an interesting episode, uh, but before we dive into it, I do want to say thank you all so much for continuing to come back and listen to me just run my mouth at you uh, about all kinds of weird stuff, sometimes really serious stuff, sometimes not so serious stuff. Uh, it's really, really fun. This is like a, a, a great project, and I should say it's interesting. So this podcast was meant as the companion podcast to the articles on trashskunk.com, as I usually tell you at the beginning. Uh, more and more, I am finding myself more drawn to podcasting. <laughs> like, I'll come up with a good idea that I'm like, man, I would love to write about that. Now, that would take me a while, or I can just sit down in front of a microphone and say exactly what I think about it, and uh, more people will probably consume it that way anyway. Let's face it, not everybody likes to read, but most people can sit through a podcast. Um, it's my job to try to make it as fun as I can. I hope I'm doing it. You guys are coming back, so that's good. The audience is growing, so that's good. It means something's working here. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this is this is a topic I think I could have easily written a very long article about and touched on a lot of different things, but honestly, I'm having more fun with the podcast. So we have a little bit of a branding issue now. This is not the Trash Skunk podcast. This is just the skunk, but the website is trashskunk.com. Is that confusing? Probably. Hey, man, I'm not a marketing major, okay? I didn't know what was going to happen when I started this whole thing out. It's a little uh, it's a little upside down and backwards, but I'm sure we'll get it to where it needs to be. For now, all that matters is uh, please, you know, like and subscribe. Give us a review in the iTunes store or, or wherever you get your podcasts if you enjoy this. And tell your friends. Spread this stuff. Like, podcasting is <clears throat> pretty much all word of mouth. Obviously, I'm just one guy. I'm not spending any money on advertising this. I'm not going around putting stickers on stop signs for this. Like, I'm in my 30s. I'm sitting here with a glass of wine. I don't have a street team, okay? <laughs> I, uh, I don't even have a, a website with the same friggin' name as the podcast. So do me a favor. If you enjoy it, recommend it to somebody. It could be a complete stranger. Wake up a homeless man sleeping on a bench. Put the ear pods in his ear and tell him to listen. Maybe I'll do an episode on homelessness. Maybe he can get something out of it. I'm sure that's something he would love to hear more about if you're living that life. Anyway, thank you guys. I just wanted to say that. Um, that being said, let's move along to what this episode is about. I've had a funny idea for a, a type of episode ever since I came up with the name The Skunk, and that would be to just do skunked, something that I don't like, right? Like I could do a hit piece on somebody like Ted Cruz. Skunked. Ted Cruz, you've been skunked. But I also thought that doing it to somebody is a little off-brand for me. I, I enjoy criticizing things that need criticizing, but I don't want to be, for lack of a better word, just a mean dick. Like, that's not my brand. That's their brand, right? I, that, that's the other side. Those are the guys who are complete a-holes and mean and basically just like to ad hominem everybody. Uh, so I don't really want to do that. I love the idea of skunked, but I think it would be wrong and off-brand for me as someone who's trying to be a compassionate and reasonable voice um, to just go after somebody like that, <laughs> as good as the title is, I don't think it's worth it. But I was talking with my wife today about several things that I was planning on podcasting about. And as we were talking about it and kind of talking about recent news, I realized so many of these topics are actually covered by one specific place in America that is just making the wrong decision 100% of the time. They are, they are like on a roll right now just being on the wrong side of history. And that, of course, is the great state of Texas, the Lone Star State, the Cowboy State, uh, one of the most conservative states, although it is increasingly uh, urban and getting bluer. They're calling Texas a purple state now, although it used to be the deepest red state. If you're not an American and you don't know, blue means Democrat, red means Republican. You know, Republicans are conservatives, Democrats are not. So you could see what I mean when I say it's red. It's a t typically a very conservative place. They love the Bible. They love guns. They hate uh, taxes. They want everything to be privatized. And boy, do you feel it when you're there. Um, but anyway, so Texas has been coming down on the wrong side of a few issues. And I'll get into them more in depth later. But just to give you sort of a, uh, a little preview here, what do they call that in the beginning of like a... Uh, like an opera or a stage musical where they play a little bit of... Uh, every song just really quickly to give you a preview of what you're going to be in for later. It's, is that the, it's not the overture, is it? I, yeah, no, I think it is. I think it's called the overture. So this is the overture. Texas recently, uh, passed a 
a law about abortions, meaning that you can't have one past six weeks and there are no exceptions for rape or incest. Put a pin in it. We're coming back to it. Uh, they also uh, are passing laws banning talking about race in public schools and trying to invent their own curriculum that more accurate, accurately reflects uh, a white Christian conservative uh, reimagining of America's past. Uh, they don't want you to hear about slavery. They don't want you to talk about race and power structures in society. Again, more on that later. We're going to put a pin in it. And of course, earlier this year, they had a whole big dust up where their entire power grid shut down and people froze to death. Uh, and they, <laughs> they wanted to blame it on the Green New Deal, which of course, Texas, right? They took the Green New Deal. <laughs> they, Texas famously listens to AOC's uh, propositions for how to uh, reinvent our power infrastructure and said, yeah, great idea. We love her. We're going to do that. And then when their power shuts down, they blamed it on the Green New Deal. That's, of course, absurd. Texas has no Green New Deal. This is an oil state. Uh, that was... <laughs> I'm going to go into more detail on it later. It's it's an unbelievable... <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And if you've listened to this podcast, you'll realize I've heard and said quite a few stupid things, but that one's really up there for me. No, I think before we get into this, we need to just talk about Texas as a whole. Now, if I'm going to skunk you, Texas, I have to say I've been there. I've spent a lot of time in Texas. I've been to every city in Texas. I've driven across Texas a few times, up and down, back and forth. I really like, of all the states outside of my own, uh, which is California, um, I have done the most time in Texas and in Florida. These are states I have just covered, snout to tail, you know, <laughs> mane to hoof, <laughs> all over. I know them well, um, and I feel very qualified to speak about Texas and the Texan identity, what they've got right and what they've got wrong. Now, we all kind of know what Texas's brand is, right? They're cowboys, they're independents, they... Uh, Famously, always threaten to secede from America whenever things don't go their way. They love guns. They love red meat. And they love Jesus. What are they not like? Gay people, socialism, Mexicans, even though there are plenty of them in Texas. Uh, they hate Californians. They hate New Yorkers. They don't understand that there's a world outside of America. They barely understand that there's a world outside of Texas. It's a, there's a vague cluster of other Americans beyond their borders, but they're really not concerned with them, nor do they know much about them, except for the aforementioned much-hated and vilified evil Californians who are all communists, and then, of course, New Yorkers who are a bunch of Jews who look down on them. Uh, that's basically the Texas view of the outside world as a caricature. Obviously, there are wonderful people in Texas. I've met a lot of them. Um, and it is increasingly diverse. Like I said, it's now a purple state. But the caricature, the American caricature of Texas, that's what it is. You know, if you wanted to turn around and shit on Californians, you could say, you know, I, the, the equivalent would be, yes, it's a bunch of vapid people basking in the sun who are completely ignorant and they pay a ton of taxes and they're, you know, uh, socially uh, clueless and blah, blah, blah. They all hate God, blah, 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 blah. Um, I won't bother with New York. I think we all know what New Yorkers are like. So the point is that stereotypes are exaggerations, but they're not necessarily wrong, right? Like, <laughs> there's a reason we can watch Richard Pryor or Dave Chappelle as a white man do, do an impression of a white person and laugh at it because it's, you know, it's kind of accurate. It's, yes, it's over the top. It's silly. It's a comedy show. But, you know, at the end of the day, it wouldn't work if you didn't recognize yourself in it as a, as a white audience member. You're like, oh, shit, he's kind of right. Um, <clears throat> when he does the voice and the mannerisms, you know, like, yes, it's exaggerated, but it's true. And the same thing applies to Texans. Now, yes, a lot of them do walk around with cowboy hats and guns, and they love the Bible and stuff, and a lot of them don't, but there's a reason Texas has that identity. And you can see it in the way that it behaves, you know, um, on a state level and on a national level. It is very, very conservative, you know, which is, must be very frustrating for the non-conservatives that live there because, holy crap, I can't imagine having to deal with what Texas puts you through. It's, it's weird stuff. It's just culturally assuming that white Christian culture is on top. And if you're not a member of that, it can be a little alienating, right? Texas is not a very comfortable place to be an atheist who's not from Texas. Um, and it's other weird little things like just tons of toll roads. Everything has a fee in Texas. Everywhere you park, everywhere you drive, everything you do, especially in the bigger cities like Dallas and Fort Worth, it just, the things that would be free in California cost you money in Texas because Texas's attitude is that they hate taxes for businesses, 
but they don't mind so much making the common man pay for everything through sort of a private transaction or honestly in taxes on poor people. You know, the famous misconception about Texas is that their taxes are lower. That's not actually true. Your taxes are lower in Texas if you're rich. They're actually higher than they are in California if you're middle class by a couple percentage points. And the other thing is that Texas, although it's true that they don't have an income tax, they more than make up for it by taxing every other good and service that other states don't, you know, so they're still collecting. The whole thing is they don't take money from the big businesses and they don't take money from the rich people uh, and certainly not the oil cartels that operate there. No, they just pass on the cost of operating their government and everything else onto the little guy, which would be you, you know, Joe, Joe James Texan, average citizen of average town in Texas. Whatever. They think they've got it right. We think we've got it right. Uh, And the truth of the matter is Texas does pretty well for itself. Not as well as California does for itself, but it does does do okay. Uh, For some reasons, a lot of companies want to be there because of the low corporate tax rate. And also, it is just an energy state, right? It's an oil state. And as we know from places like Saudi Arabia, all you really need is oil and you're rich. I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge one. Now, Texas has a weird attitude towards clean energy because of this. They don't like the idea of the Green New Deal, as it's been called, which would be a revamping of the American energy infrastructure with clean energy, right? Things like solar and wind power and getting rid of these dirty coal plants and dirty oil power plants and all this stuff that is just so harmful to the environment and so destructive. Well, Texas finds an enemy with that stuff, not because it doesn't work, but because Texas relies so much on the oil industry and so many Texans work in the oil industry that they view this as a threat. This bothers the hell out of me because the real thing is if you're an energy worker, like you can still work in energy. You might have to be retrained for how to deal with a new infrastructure. You will probably get a job helping (laughs) to build a new infrastructure, Um, but they don't want to do this. They really want to cling to oil and all the dirty fossil fuels that that state is known for. Um, that's like almost a whole other tangent that I'm, I'm hesitant to even get into. But it just shows you where Texas is at with this stuff. It's all about big business, screw the little guy, and who cares about the environment as long as we're making money. Uh, and it, oil, 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 you know. Um, it bothers me, I'm not going to lie. Being there and seeing so much of that bothered the hell out of me. Uh you're watching the world burn so that you can have a job for another 15 years at a dirty energy company when really you could just have the same job at a clean energy company and work for the rest of your life and the planet would be better off for it, buddy. <laughs> but these people fight tooth and nail against it. It's a tough one. That that one's really obnoxious. Even more obnoxious is it's just so fixable, you know? And the thing is that the, the people in Texas are being used and lied to by their political leaders, people like Ted Cruz and like their governor, Greg Abbott, who is basically a professional troll at this point. They both are, really, if you think about it. But the deal is that these are guys who are in bed with the fossil fuel industry. I think Ted Cruz famously has taken more money uh, from fossil fuel than any other candidate, any any other senator, I should say. I think he's famously the most in bed with the oil companies. Uh, And it wouldn't surprise me to learn that Greg Abbott is too, given the way he behaves around oil. Uh, and they they tell their constituents that it is impossible to have any kind of new power system come in, that oil it must be king at all times. It is, it is essential. And it's funny because Texas is defined by being the me first state. It, it is such an individualistic place. Um, they are famously like the independent state, right? We are, we're going to secede the minute we're not happy. It's me first on everything. And so this attitude led to Texas... Having its own power grid, it is not connected like most other states are to the states around it. Texas had to have its own independent power grid because Texas is independent. It really views itself as its own country in a lot of ways. And so they have their own mostly dirty power grid. I think something like 10% of Texas's power grid is uh, powered by wind and solar and things like that. Uh, Only 10%. Well, what happened this last year? Texas was hit by an enormous winter freeze, and a ton of its power went down. Now, it wasn't just the wind, and it wasn't just the solar. It was the uh, oil power plants, the coal power plants, the nuclear power plants. Every single source of power that Texas had failed during this storm, leaving 
millions of Texas, uh, millions of Texas citizens in the cold, literally freezing. Without people died, <laughs> people froze to death in Texas over this failure of their independent power grid. Now, normally, what would happen in a state in the United States is if power failed here. Well, you're connected to the state next door or the county next door or wherever, and we can send you power through the grid. But because Texas is closed off and they have to be so independent, well, they're, they were pretty much screwed uh, until everything could be fixed and brought back online, which took days and days. Days during which, by the way, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, flying Ted, took his family down to Cancun uh, for a beach vacation. Oh my God, that was such an embarrassment. Can you imagine, like, what what political instinct would motivate somebody to say, hmm, everyone in my state is freezing to death, uh, and I, as one of their leaders, am going to uh, take a tropical vacation and say, screw them. <laughs> Hopefully it's all over by the time I get back. Well, Ted Cruz got in a lot of trouble for this, and what did he do? He didn't say, you're right, I'm, I'm sorry, that was boneheaded move, I'm, I'm coming back. Flying Ted is flying back, I'm going to be there for Texas. No, he made up a lie and said, oh, um, my daughters wanted to go to Cancun, and I thought maybe I would just escort them on the plane. Well, this turned out not to be true because text messages were leaked (laughs) between Ted's wife, Heidi Cruz, and neighbors, where she very explicitly says, hey, this is really cold here, huh? Well, Ted and I are going to take a week-long family vacation in Cancun. Anybody want to come? And of course, people view this as, as vile as it is, and they leaked it to the press. Uh, to which Ted's response to this, when he got caught in his lie about escorting his kids, just said, yeah, well, the people who share that are just mean, evil Democrats. <laughs> okay. Well, that might be true, but it doesn't undo the lie that you just told and the fact that you just tried to leave your state in the dust, freezing to death so that you could lay around with your fat ass in a Speedo on some Cancun beach, sipping a margarita. Yeah, you could call them Democrats all day. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But it doesn't change the fact that you lied and you tried to abandon your people, Theodore James Cruz. <laughs> His real name's actually Rafael Cruz, whatever. Um, so, but this is, you know, this is the man that Texas has chosen to support them because it is, of course, the me first individualist state, like I said. So what would a me first individualist do? The minute his community is freezing to death, well, certainly not what an evil socialist would do and stick around and try to take care of people. No, he gets on a plane because he's rich and he goes to a beach. Ah, of course, this is the perfect Texas man. This is Texas personified. There's a reason Ted Cruz saw nothing wrong with this until the rest of the world weighed in on it. In Texas, that's what you do. The whole town is freezing. You're the boss of the town. Shit, get on your horse and go to warmer ground. Screw these people. Anything else would be socialism. It would be communism to have to uh, stay and suffer with everyone and try to find a way through this together. Yeah, I know that Ted wants you to think now that he, of course, cares. And he came back and made a big show of trying to uh, undo the damage he had done. But it was too late. The cat was out of the bag. We saw what he did. We know where his heart was. Actually, one of the funniest things to to take place during this episode was New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the famous socialist, Herself flew down to Texas and worked uh, <laughs> handing out relief supplies and raised like millions of dollars to get uh, freezing families food and into shelters. And she actually went out of her way to go to a state that she does not live in where everyone hates her and raise money and take care of people because that is what a compassionate person does. Now, no doubt, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saw an opportunity to politically humiliate Ted Cruz and raise her own brand up. Of course she did. She's not stupid. But at the same time, she was also doing what is right. There's no denying it. There's no denying it at all. And because she's a socialist, I have no doubt that her heart is actually in helping people. That is what is required of being a socialist. That is what you must be. Uh, If you're going to to belong to a collectivist, community-centered movement that believes in workers' rights and taking care of each other, Well, you, by definition, must be a compassionate person. An uncompassionate person would never get involved in something like that. And they don't. (laughs) You can see that every day in America when you look at our political discourse. You can see who gives a shit about other people, and you can see who doesn't. Um, So that's the the irony here uh, of this oil-loving state that is so afraid of green energy is, of course, what do they do? Well, the governor, Greg Abbott immediately tried to go on Fox News and blame the power outages on windmills and green, you know, it was the Green New Deal that did this. It's all because of this damn Green New Deal that our power went down. 
Well, what the hell are you talking about, Greg? Maybe your viewers on Fox News are too dumb to know this, but the rest of us know that you guys hate the Green New Deal in Texas. It hasn't been implemented anywhere in America, and especially not in your state, that you would be the last place that would have it. So how can it be that it's the fault of a program that has not been implemented that your power system failed? Yeah, did windmills freeze? Yes. You want to know why they froze? Because the government of Texas refused to pay the extra money to winterize them. Now, you winterize a windmill to keep it working in icy conditions, right? There are windmills in Iceland and in Greenland. There are windmills in incredibly cold places. It's Scandinavia, Norway. These people have windmills that work year-round in icy, frosty storms because they winterize them. Well, Texas, of course, doesn't want to pay for anything and doesn't want regulations on anything. And they did not winterize their green windmills or solar uh, energy arrays. So that's one issue. You guys just basically tried to drive up a snowy mountain with no snow chains on and ran off the road. And what, now you want to blame the car? No, this was your fault, idiot. Uh, but not only that, but as I mentioned before, Texas's power, only 10% of it comes from these green energy sources. The other 90% is still in dirty energy. And those are the places that froze and shut down too. So this is a poor argument, but of course it is an argument that as the governor of Texas or Ted Cruz, the man who takes the most money from the oil industry, they still have to make this because their masters need them to use this as an opportunity to blame uh, green energy and clean energy, right? Divert away from the oil problem. We need you to somehow make this a windmill issue. And that's exactly what these puppets did. And of course, everyone who watches Fox News believe that. Tons of conservative Texans believe it, and it will now be deployed, as obviously false as it is, it will now be deployed over and over again to stop green energy or clean energy <clears throat> from ever coming into Texas and cleaning that place up, which is basically going to ensure that this will happen again <laughs> at some point in the future. It will absolutely happen again. And that's Texas for you guys. Yeah, I've been all over that great state. I'm trying to think of the... There, there is one place in Texas that I like. I liked Austin a lot. I've been to Austin a couple times, including once just as a vacation. I liked it that much. It is that cool of a city. But there's a famous saying in Texas, which is that, uh, actually, it's more of a saying in Austin. The only bad thing about Austin is that when you step outside of it, you're in Texas, <laughs> which tells you everything you need to know. The reason Austin is such a great city is because it's like nothing else in Texas. Everything else in Texas is pretty terrible, honestly. Austin is cool because it is nothing like that. Austin feels like it belongs in the Pacific Northwest or maybe somewhere just along the west coast of America. It's funky. It's weird. It's filled with hipsters and uh, really fun restaurants and cool, accepting, tolerant people, music venues. It's just an awesome place to be. It is completely different from somewhere like Dallas, which is clean, but as boring as a cocktail napkin without any sort of restaurant logo on it. Just the plain white ones that you get on an airplane. God, even those have a logo on it. Now, Dallas is a, is a boring place. I've been there a couple times. The most fun I've ever had in Dallas was when a homeless man showed me where JFK got shot. That was really cool. Actually, a friend and I were shooting a, a TV show in Dallas for just a couple days. We were doing like some pickups or something. And we went out one night, got some food. It was a steak, of course, like a good Texas steak. That was fine. Um, and we were like, what do you do around here? There's just nothing going on. Um, we didn't want to go to a cowboy bar. We didn't really want to go to anything like that. So we wound up in Dealey Plaza trying to find out if Lee Harvey Oswald could have taken that famous shot from the uh, book depository window. <laughs> I almost said book suppository. That's a whole other thing. You really don't want a book suppository. Trust me. Now, we went to Dealey Plaza. We were trying to figure out, like, okay, what, what happened here? You know, people say that there was a second gunman, that there's no way he could have made these couple of shots from this window. And sure enough, in Dealey Plaza, when you go there, there is a big painted X right on the ground on the road. And that's the, the spot where John F. Kennedy was shot as his motorcade passed through, right on the spot. And then you can look up and see the window where Lee Harvey Oswald shot him from. And we were discussing, you know, we both shot a lot of guns in our lives. And it's like, there's... I don't see why he wouldn't make that shot. It's really not that hard of a shot. Like, I guess I'm not up in the window myself, but it's not that far away. It, sure, it's a moving target, but it's moving slow. You know, John F. Kennedy wasn't ripping through there in his Porsche. He was cruising slowly in the back of a Cadillac, waving at people. Uh, so anyway, 
that's sort of a side note, but we decided that that was probably not a conspiracy. I think whether Lee Harvey Oswald was involved in a greater conspiracy, hey, maybe this is a whole other episode, actually. Maybe I should get into this another time, but look, I'll just say this. Whether he was involved in a grander conspiracy to kill President Kennedy, I have no doubt that he could have done it, you know, all by himself. So whether other people were paying him or goaded him into doing it or whatever, totally possible. But I don't see any reason for a second gunman. He could, I, I could have popped off that shot. Very confident of that. Um, as we were doing this, a homeless man walked up. And as often happens in big cities, uh, basically hustled us into letting him show us all around. And he showed us the gutter where the, uh, the storm drain, where the second gunman was supposed to be. And then the wood fence where the three tramps were and the little hill where the babushka lady was and all these famous things we've heard as Americans uh, when we rehash the JFK conspiracy theories over and over again. That was the best time I ever had in Dallas. Every other time has been steak restaurants and back to the hotel. And also, oddly, a lot of strip club action there. People really into the strip clubs in Dallas, which is, that's your thing, great. For me, not such a fan. Seems like a lot of money to spend on something you can just see on the internet, or if you're married, for free. Um, <laughs> I wasn't married at the time. Still felt like a waste of money. Whatever. <laughs> Look, not my favorite city, not my favorite state. Uh, yeah, Houston, same thing. Very clean, very boring. I believe there's an aquarium there. Big deal. Uh, San Antonio's cooler. It's down by the border. Has more of a flavor to it. Uh, if you've ever been unlucky in life, you've probably been to Lubbock or Midland, Odessa or Amarillo. All these places are as close to hell on earth as I can conjure for you. Really, really, really just awful. And that pretty much sums it up. There's other places, you know, smaller towns in Texas. Uh, not worth mentioning, honestly. It's, uh, for, for a place that prides itself so much on its identity, it is one of the blandest, most boring places I've ever spent time. And again, I've spent a lot of time there. I think you would be better off being proud to be from Idaho or something. <laughs> I, there's just nothing going on in Texas for me. I, I just don't, I don't get it. Again, I'm not a Texan and Texas and California are sort of traditional rivals and enemies. So maybe that plays into it too. You know, I love my own state. And it is the polar opposite of that state, so maybe that explains a lot. Either way, my problem isn't with the, the, the boring cities or anything like that. It's the attitudes and the laws of Texas that get me going, because it is just anathema to everything that I believe in. Uh, and, and they are pushing for just the most draconian shit there. Let me explain this to you. We talked earlier when I gave you my overture, my little preview menu of what we were going to talk about, about abortions. Now, again, this is something that in my head, I'm like, God, I could do a whole episode about pro-life, pro-choice, you know. Uh, it's a dangerous one to talk about, you know, but I've already talked about the gun debate in Israel-Palestine. Like, what's stopping me at this point from going into the pro-life, pro-choice debate? It's a very real place. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of opinions on both sides. And my side of it is that I think, you know, it's a medical procedure. It's a very common medical procedure. I read from Amnesty International, according to them, one in four pregnancies in the world ends in an abortion, usually for medical reasons, right? To save the life of the mother or because the, uh, the baby is a stillborn or there's something wrong uh, or because it's, there's been a rape. You know, there's a lot of different reasons this happens. Uh, the ones that we always want to focus on when we're getting fired up about it are usually not the ones that even happen, right? People like to imagine abortions are someone is nine months pregnant and they've just been so careless that they are like, yeah, I guess I should have used a condom, whatever. Now I'm pregnant. I'm going to wait nine months. And then I'm like, yeah, I really don't want this baby. I'm just going to go get it aborted. And when it, it when it happens, it looks like a full grown baby. And uh, it's like, no, this is not how this happens. If someone's getting an abortion at nine months, there is an emergency going on. And most places do not allow, almost almost nowhere allows nine month friggin' abortions. That's crazy. That's scare tactic talk from people who are on the pro-life side. Uh, if any if any pregnancies anywhere are aborted that late, it is for a medical emergency. And it is a tragedy because these are people who probably have a room in their home that is painted and has a crib in it and has toys waiting for their newborn. And that newborn will never come now because of some awful, sad scenario. But you would like to paint them as a murderer. That's just disgusting to me, personally. And that's, again, that's a whole other episode. Um, but Texas recently just passed, like I said, a law prohibiting abortions past 
six weeks or when the first heartbeat is detected. Once you detect a heartbeat, no more abortion. Well, any woman will tell you, you might not even know you're pregnant at six weeks. That You literally might not know. But now that's the cutoff. Okay, interesting move, Texas. So you're basically forcing everyone to have a baby that gets pregnant. And like I said, there's no provision in there. Actually, I don't know if I, if I mentioned this yet or not. There's no provision in this law that allows abortions past six weeks for someone who's been raped or for incest, right? Someone's f a family member has sexually abused them and gotten them pregnant. Well, I hope you figure it out within six weeks, ladies, because anything after that, and you're a mom now, and you're going to raise that rapist's baby. Uh, what? That is insane to me that there's not even a provision for that. Look, if you want to pass a draconian law about abortion and everyone in your state is voting for it and they, this is what they want, like, I think it's awful, but I guess that's your right. Uh, but this this violates human rights, in my opinion, to force the victims of rape to raise a child um, or for medical emergencies, you know, like you, if it poses danger to the mother, guess what? You're still giving birth. This thing is happening now. It doesn't matter what happens to you. What's more important you 30-year-old woman who has an entire life built for herself, what's more important than your life and all your friends and family and contacts and career and your aspirations and hopes and dreams and loves, what's more important is the, you know, several-week-old embryo or fetus inside of you. That's what we're going to care about now. We don't care if you die giving birth to it. It's coming out. I do not, I just do not understand this. I, I don't understand. If you are pro-life, you must start by caring about the living not the yet-to-be-born. I understand that there's a muddy area for a lot of people about, well, when is a baby uh, a living thing? Is it when the heartbeat is first detected? Is, is it at conception? Is it when it develops eyes? <laughs> you know, you could pick any time along that timeline and have a long argument with somebody about it. But what trumps all of it for me is that it hasn't come out and it's not living yet. It's not living a human life yet. It might be living a life in utero, but it is not in the world, and it, there's no one relying on it. If a 30-year-old woman dies giving, child, giving childbirth, it, her parents just lost their kid, okay? Her husband just lost his wife. Her friends just lost their friend. She's been ripped away from everyone that, that has known her for 30 years at this point so that this unborn person can, can live. Now, if that's the morality that you choose for yourself— have at it, okay? If you're a 30-year-old pregnant woman that would rather die so that your baby can live than have an abortion two or three months into your pregnancy because you know that there's a medical danger coming up, well, that's your decision to basically commit suicide and have the baby anyway. Uh, okay, fine. If you think it would be better to have the baby and make sure that the baby grows up without a mother um, when it's the whole thing is preventable, okay, go on ahead. But I do not think it's right to force that onto people. How could that be right? How can you force that onto everybody? That is an awful, awful, awful thing to do. It's terrible. Um, but this is Texas. They care way more about the unborn than they do about the alive. And this, the other way that they prove this, of course, is that once that baby is born, what happens to it? Well, there's no uh, maternity leave on the books. There's no law for that for the mother. Uh, there is no pre-K childcare covered by anything. So she's going to have to figure that out. You know, God forbid this woman is single. Let's hope she's married and has some help here. But if she's single, she is really in a lot of trouble. Um, there's a lot of studies that point to single mothers, um, low-income mothers. Uh, these are the, the households where criminals come from. Not all the time, of course, but it's statistically way more likely that people who grow up to lead a life of crime come from a broken household, the single-income parent, uh, and this is entirely preventable. Like, there, there are crime spikes in places where abortion is not legal. In fact, there's a famous book called Freakonomics from several, several years ago at this point that pointed out that after Roe v. Wade passed in America that legalized you know, access to abortion, uh, the crime rate dropped precipitously about 16 to 20 years later meaning that all of these young women who used to have to have a kid and figure out a way to raise it in a poor neighborhood with bad influences and not enough money or resources, 
Well, 16 years later, this had stopped happening, and so crime started dropping because there were less young, desperate men from broken homes walking around. <laughs> the women that would have had them and raised them instead just got an abortion. You know? Now, correlation, correlation is not always causation, and there has been some debate about that. But it is, it is a very interesting fact, and you could see how that would have an effect, Right? All of a sudden, all these women that were forced to have kids and raise them in bad neighborhoods and raise them in bad environments and kids with broken families and, and mothers who are at work all day are much more susceptible to getting sucked into gang life and criminal activity and living on the street, you know, from 13 to 20 years old, much more likely to get sucked into that than kids who have two parents who are there and they live in suburbia and everything is all good. And certainly much more likely to do it than a kid who never existed at all, <laughs> right? Because the mother terminated the pregnancy when she realized she did not have the resources to support being a mom. So of course the crime rate went down. Of course it did. Um, that is hardly the only good argument in support of pro-choice. You know, it's, it, for me, the biggest one is just, it's a health issue for the mother. And if we care about life, then we need to care about the people who are already alive. Like I said, that's the big one. But of course, this is not an abortion episode. This is about the state of Texas and all of the backwards things it's doing. And my point in bringing all that up is to say that if Texas wants to basically make it nearly impossible to get an abortion, well, fine. But then what are they doing for these mothers who are forced to have these kids who have no resources? Like I said, there's no they hate public education in Texas. That's a place that famously wants to get rid of it and replace it with private education just like they do with the roads, right? Taxes shouldn't pay for this, the user should pay for it, which means the mom, who may be a single mom, now has to not only feed and put a roof over her kid's head, but pay for some sort of an education. There's, of course, childcare. Someone's gotta watch this kid while she's at work trying to support the family. That costs a ton of money. Childcare is one of the biggest expenses families face. And of course, there's healthcare, which, well, you can bet your bottom dollar there's nothing being done on that front in Texas. Again, they want it to be private. They love private health insurance. It's an extortion. So this woman's paying for child care, trying to get uh, insurance for her kid, which costs a ton of money. She's got to find good school and pay for it. Uh, all while driving back and forth to her job at Walmart on a toll road that she has to pay for. Like They are putting the squeeze on these people. In the worst way possible. Now, if you're a, a, an oil millionaire living in Texas, sure, your life is probably fine. I think it's probably great. But what about all the other people who have higher taxes than the rich do there and have to pay for everything in their lives that is being forced upon them by private industry, being forced to have kids that the state basically made them have and then refuses to do anything about taking care of or helping them? There is zero assistance to the mother who had to have this kid. I, it, it bogs my mind why anybody would want to raise a family in Texas under those conditions. That is just atrocious to me. I, I really can't believe it. But hey, baby, that's Texas for you. That's how it goes. <laughs> that's unreal. So we've talked about their addiction to oil and their uh, hatred of anything clean energy that could actually help them out. We've talked about the way that they treat women's rights. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about education. Oh, boy. Well, what do you think's going on in Texas, guys, knowing what we know about Texas? Do you think this is a place that's building an Ivy League university tomorrow where uh, America's brightest minds are going to come out of the, the Texas public education system? Well, I can tell you that that's almost certainly not the case. Yeah, there are some good colleges in Texas. You know, there's some good private ones. Um, I'm sure there's a, a good public one or two. But where Texas is really failing is in these new laws they just passed under, of course, Greg Abbott and the conservative uh, Texas legislature, which is basically they don't want to talk about race or current events in school anymore. Why don't they want to do this? Well, for a lot of reasons. Mostly it's a white supremacist sort of fascist move, um, quite obviously on its face. But what spurred it on um, is the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine, which is basically a reimagining of American history, not, not as it didn't happen. It's not a reimagining in the sort of fantasy sense, but it's, it's a reexamining, maybe that's the better word, of American history through the eyes of black Americans who have been here since the beginning. And if you recall, they were slaves back then. And it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about, but it needs to be talked about. Um, so from the black perspective in public school, we have been taught 
all of the white side of history, right? And slavery is mentioned and sort of glossed over. Like, yes, yes, that happened, and there was a war, and now it's gone. Anyway, everyone just get over it, right? Like, God, that was so long ago. That's how the white people are talking about it. And let's talk about all of these great presidents like Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and all this shit that these white people did and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, yes, that is a part of history. That's all true. That's all a really important part of history. But what's not being taught is the black experience in America, in black history. And these are people who were ripped from their own homeland and completely lost all touch with their history. And that connection was severed. You know, black Americans don't know what part of Africa their ancestors were kidnapped from, for the most part. They don't know. They, they can't do what an Italian-American can do and go back to Africa and visit the little town that their grandfather's grandfather lived in and meet the people with the same last name. No, that was all erased for them. They were stolen, they were given new names, and they were forced into slavery for generations. Uh, that's not taught very much in school. Again, it's, it's glossed over, but I think if you're a black American, you are deeply interested, not so much in Thomas Jefferson's ass, but what your ancestors lived through and their version of America, their, the lens through which they experienced history, that's not being taught. And so the 1619 Project is basically trying to bring that to life a little bit. And more importantly, examining why America is the way it is today for different groups of people because of the different way that we've always treated racisms and the power dynamics of class and race and how the, the whole thing is interacted to give us what we have, you know, <clears throat> the America that we have today, where black families still have enormously less wealth far less wealth uh, than white families who have inherited generational wealth for many, 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 many generations. You know, this is a disparity that is purely racial. It is because of the way that black Americans have been treated. All that they're trying to do is talk about this. No one's trying to erase white history or replace white history. You know, it is just that there is a huge piece of the puzzle in the American story missing from our education system. It's just not there, and that's not fair. That's kind of like a Johnny Cochran line. If it's not there, that's not fair. But that's true. It's not there. It should be taught. You know, It should not just be one particular whitewashed version of American history. There's a whole other side of it, a whole other experience. I don't see a problem personally with examining that. I mean, there is the, the, this hot-button issue uh, of what's called critical race theory, which is a sort of like overly academic, uh, obsessive study of race. Like there is a point with anything where you can sort of go up your own ass a little bit with something. And critical race theory sometimes does that just depending on what professor is teaching it and who's writing what book. But it does come from a good place, right? If you're a minority in America and you traditionally have been a minority and your people have not had access to the full scale of rights that the dominant culture in America has had, well then, yeah, why wouldn't you be interested in studying that, talking about it, writing books about it, maybe theorizing a little bit about how those experiences have shaped America today? I don't see anything wrong with it at all. I think it's fine. I think that like anything, people can take it too far. Like, you know, there are the people who take it to the extent that, well, all white people just by virtue of being white must therefore be racist because the system is sort of inherently racist. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you are basically a Ku Klux Klan member. All right, settle down. That's too far in the other direction. I think what's more important is for the conversation to be had so that people can have a better perspective, you know? Like, not everything has to be so 100% this way or the other way. We're only teaching white history or we're, we're only gonna teach this thing where every single white person's a racist and blah, 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 blah. It's like, guys, you're, no. So, this is the, it's all about the gray area and everything in life. Things that are black and white are usually wrong or someone's lying to you. There are things on both sides. Yes, the system has treated a lot of American citizens very poorly and it has disenfranchised them and put them at a disadvantage in everything from college admissions to wealth inequality and the neighborhoods that they live in and the schools that their kids can go to. Yes, that is all part of the system, but it doesn't mean that every single person involved in the system is a racist. <laughs> but it should be important to talk about that stuff so that people can understand how it works and be like, oh, okay, you know, I never thought about that before. You're right. Wow. That's all people want to do. Anyway, Texas, who's what we're really talking about here, has taken it upon themselves to 
absolutely overreact to this conversation wanting to be had. You know, people all across America, educators have said, we should teach some of the stuff in the 1619 Project in school. Like, what a cool thing to exist. What a whole other piece of American history that we can access and engage with our students about and have them think about. And like, we could give them better educations if we are allowed to talk about this stuff. And so, of course, Texas, which is perpetually afraid of anything that's not white and Christian, sees wanting to teach the black side of American history in school and having these uncomfortable conversations about race and just says, nope, hell no, absolutely not happening. We are not going down that road. In fact, get out the pencil. Let's write the law right now where this is just against the law. So like now we're having schools where conversations are being outlawed. Does that sound like a good place to learn to you? Nope, we're not talking about this. Nope, we're not talking about that. We're only going to talk about this very specific doctrine that we have written up. Uh, that's insane. That is, you know, to borrow a phrase from another episode of this podcast, a little bit Orwellian. We are sort of preventing education from taking place. Nothing in the 1619 Project is really false. It's not like they're suggesting we teach kids bogus information. You know, we're actually teaching them more information than they're already getting. It's just another side of the story, and it's uncomfortable. But I would, you know, I would submit that maybe we would raise a more compassionate, uh, more all-embracing, diverse generation of young people if we told them the truth about history. You know, Tell them how this stuff all played out. Don't lie about it because what's going to happen later is these kids that you prevent from learning this stuff will learn it on their own eventually and then they will wonder why you lied to them and they will start questioning everything else in their life that you've ever told them from their religion to, you know, it's just everything. That's what happens when you lie to a kid. That's the reason why the war on drugs failed, right? Because we all told these kids hey, if you smoke pot, you're going to wind up a homeless person doing heroin. And, uh, you, you know, people who smoke pot die of heart attacks and like all these weird lies. Well, that might scare a nine-year-old, but what happens when that kid's 16 and everyone around him is smoking pot and none of the stuff you told him is true? Well, now not only is that kid smoking pot, but he knows you're a liar and doesn't believe anything you've ever told him, Right. This is just how young people work. I know I was the same way. You find out someone's been pulling your chain about something, and soon you're experimenting with doing all the other things they warned you not to do. Because you're like, well, he wasn't right about that. He outright lied to me. So now I'm going to do this shit too. And see, maybe this is cool too. Uh, it's, it's a bad precedent to set. And as educators, your job should be to educate and be honest and teach real information not get your orders from the government about what weird version of history you want to teach um, because it's uncomfortable to talk about race relations and uh, the history of slavery. I, I think, if anything, in America, if we were able to have that conversation in schools and able to have it more, it might go further towards uniting us as a people. Like The division exists, guys, because one half of this equation does not want to acknowledge the barbarity of what took place on the other half of the population, well, it's not even half. It's, you know, I think African-Americans are 12, 13% of the population, but whatever. It doesn't matter. If one side doesn't want to acknowledge it, how is the other side supposed to, you know, take that? I, you can't say, how are they supposed to move on or get over it? They shouldn't have to. So there are things in life that you don't move on from or get over. It. Like you talk to a murder victim's family member and they'll tell you 20 years later, you don't, you don't move on. You don't get over it. You learn to understand it and you have to learn to live with it. Well, I would think that, you know, I'm speaking for somebody else now. It's not my family's experience. But if your ancestors were kept as slaves and abused, you shouldn't be asked to get over it. <laughs> you shouldn't be asked to move on. I don't think that you should hold the people who are alive today responsible for it just because they look the same. But if they don't want to acknowledge that, you know, this stuff happened, well, then I think, yeah, you have a right to be frustrated by that. Everybody has a right to be respected and have their story understood and have their story told, even if it's an uncomfortable story. So I don't know. I feel like Texas is just once again taking the wrong side with this whole thing. How, Like, again, education, we're going to just start hiding information. That's the way we're going to educate people. Okay, well, what happens when uh, students from the Texas public school system 
have to take nationalized standardized tests like the SATs? What happens when they apply for colleges, you know, prestigious universities at places outside of Texas, and they're completely ignorant of all this stuff that Texas has hidden from them. (laughs) And it's putting its own students at a disadvantage on the national and the international level of academia because they're hiding info and lying to them and giving them weird mistruths and a bizarre rose-colored view of history, which is, of course, as I've said before on this show, a very Southern attitude um, is looking at the uh, Civil War as something where, oh, yeah, heroes on both sides. Both sides were were right. And, you know, the fallen Confederate soldiers are just uh, heroes for a lost but noble cause. Like, no, they were not. We can stop this right now. Um, What would make more sense is to tell the truth about that stuff. You know, Germany doesn't allow Germans to memorialize Nazi generals (laughs) and and uh, Hitler and all these people, it, it is illegal in Germany to celebrate that stuff you know, because they know goddamn well that this weird lost cause fetish people have for military defeats uh, is, a, is a poisonous and very real thing that can revive and bring back the ghost of that ugly concept or idea. You know, if you allow people to walk around with swastika t-shirts and Talk about uh, how great the Third Reich was in Germany. Well, you might be on your way to a Fourth Reich before long. People are awfully nostalgic and sentimental, and the ugliest parts of history have a way of getting sort of glossed over and romanticized when really they have no business being so. That's what's happening in the American South, and that is what Texas is trying to do to its public school system in regards to the history of race in America. You know? It's an ugly thing. And in fact... Something every adult American should do, because we were not taught the full view of American history, or at least the ugly parts were glossed over, and the whole thing is always told through a very white American perspective, because those are the people who have not only been the dominant culture, but for early American history, at least made up the biggest number of Americans. That has changed and evolved over time, Um, and that is one of the reasons we are still seeing this, is because... Other population pools are growing. You know, the face of America is changing ethnically, religiously, everything. And this is sort of a grasping at uh, something that a white Christian American sees as as a fading culture, right? They're fighting back against other people being here and other ideas emerging here. But a book that every American adult should read is a book called A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. That is a book that was very controversial at its time, but has since gone on to become a classic. Uh, this book actually got the, its author surveilled by the FBI for being like basically a seditionist. And, but there's nothing seditious or crazy about this book. All it is is Howard Zinn wrote a book that examines American history through the eyes of people who are always neglected in history books. Native Americans, union factory workers, women, <laughs> black people, you know, the things that the perspectives that no one teaches and no one talks about are all in this book. And it's saying, OK, well, what did it, what did American history look like from the people who were sort of on the underside of it? The underdogs here, people whose stories are not written down, not the great men and the military leaders and the industrialists whose names we all know, like Rockefeller and all these people. Screw those. The, the normal history books have got those covered. I want to know about the Native Americans perspective. I want to know about the women who were sewing shirts in New York sweatshops every day for 40 years in the 1800s. You know, what are, what was their story? Uh, it's a great book, and it will open your eyes to this stuff. It will absolutely make you see the country in a different light. And when you see something like Texas trying to prevent those stories from being told, you'll realize what villainy that really is. It's completely wretched. Uh, because a, be- a better and broader perspective on anything in life is always good. We should never be struggling to put on our horse blinders and have tunnel vision about anything. That is being an ostrich and sticking your head in the sand when something makes you uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Your head might be in the sand, but whatever is making you uncomfortable is still standing right next to you on the beach. (laughs) So you cannot see it and you can pretend it's not there. It doesn't change the fact that it's there. Whether the thing standing next to that ostrich on the beach is black history, or socialism, or the true you know, story of the Civil War, whatever it is, it's still there, guys. And at some point, you're going to have to pull your head out because you're going to get hungry and you're going to want to eat whatever an ostrich eats. What do ostriches eat? I'm going to have to Google this later. I'm imagining probably plants. Although, a lot of birds are into those bugs. 
Eh, that's a whole other podcast. That's right. Stay tuned for next week, guys, when we're going to talk about what do ostriches eat. And uh, if you want the bonus episode, we're going to cover seagulls and what they eat. I've seen them eat all kinds of weird stuff. They seem to really like garbage. Anyway, so this whole thing has been sort of a, a little bit of a hit piece on Texas, but I, I just feel like obviously there's a lot of awesome people there. I've had some great times in Texas, too. Um, but overall, I see them heading in a troubling direction that just is the uh, dull, uh, lurid beacon of disgusting policy and backwards thinking uh, that is constantly tugging America in the opposite direction. Like No matter what we do to move forward, there is always a state somewhere who is trying to pull us back and regress and somehow make things even worse than they already are in a place where things were bad yesterday. Today, they're finding out how to make them worse. And Texas just is really good at that. <laughs> it's really good at that. Like I said, I've lived there. I've traveled all over it. And I see what they do every day in the news. And I'm like, these guys are just out of their minds. I, I, I can't believe how they're doing it. But whatever, man. That's why they're the independent state. That's why they want to do things their way. And um, we'll see how much longer it continues that way. I'm very interested to see how uh, the next couple election cycles turn out in Texas. One of the big things is, of course, that there are a lot of young, liberal, uh, socially liberal, at least, people in Texas who are pushing that state bluer and bluer with every single election. The problem is the state legislature is still controlled heavily by conservatives, and they draw the voting districts. Uh, so Texas, as a result of this, is a heavily gerrymandered uh, state where they will disenfranchise thousands or even millions of voters just by drawing lines on a map that don't favor them, right? So you give this disproportionate control to rural white Christian conservatives just through a little trickery on the map. And if you're the one in charge of the state, you're the one drawing the map, I mean, it's you can basically hold on as long as you can until the overwhelming number of people who are voting blue just destroys you. It's going to take a long time for that to happen, especially in Texas. But we'll see. You know, they almost elected a Democratic uh, senator recently. They almost elected Joe Biden. They, they came closer than ever in Texas to electing a Democratic president, which no one thought would happen at all. I mean, even Georgia, one of the deepest red former, you know, slave owning states, flipped blue for Biden. So we'll see. It's going to depend on the candidate. It's going to depend on where the country's at. And it's also going to depend on how people react to these draconian, backwards, awful pieces of legislation that are being passed in Texas right now. Will Texans be happy with uh, six-week abortion bans and uh, the re-education being performed on their kids? And will they be happy freezing to death in another winter because Texas refuses to winterize its power grid and still operates on all these old crappy oil power plants that froze and shut down? You know, Are they going to buy the excuse that it was because of these couple windmills that no one paid to winterize? I don't know. It's up to Texans at this point. If they really are going to buy into all that crap and that's how they want to live, have at it, man. That's why I don't live in that state. But I have an inkling of a feeling that there are enough new people in Texas. There's young people. There's people from other states that are much bluer moving there. Um, they're probably going to change their tune at some point over the next decade or two. We'll see. I could be wrong. Anyway, for now, I think Texas deserves to be skunked, and I'm happy to do it. To be honest with you, I feel like I went easy on them. I, I off microphone and private conversation, have a lot more to say about Texas, but I don't think it's appropriate to bring up on the show because this is a show where I want to cover broad issues that concern everybody and try to be compassionate and sweet about it, even when I'm being critical. Um, my, you'll notice that my criticism of Texas isn't so much that all the people are stupid or anything like that. It's that like the policies that they're pushing through are bad for the people. They're hurting people. That's why I care. I'm not here to just call them dumb and laugh at them. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm troubled by it because it's hurting real people. And I think that some of those people are, they have a weird Stockholm syndrome with their own abusers who are the people pushing these policies to begin with. And they're voting for things that are hurting them because they're being tricked. If you're voting against clean energy in your state because you are being tricked into thinking that that was the reason you froze to death last winter, well, I feel bad for you because that's not true. Clean energy could help you. <laughs> that's just one small issue. If you think that you want your kids to go to a school where they're being taught 
heavily edited and, and weird redacted history books where, you know, there, there's a very specific narrative that's being pushed that once they step out of Texas into the real world, will realize it was completely bogus and they will be shocked and stunned and feel like they just left a cult. That sounds troubling. I don't think that's good for families or for kids. But you know what? We'll see. That's your state. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening to a, a kind of a weird episode. You know, it was a broad sort of subject that covered a lot of different things, but I had fun talking about it. I hope you enjoyed listening. And if you're from Texas, yeah, know that it's not personal, you know, it's your leadership. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share with everybody you know, and I will see you next time on Yeehaw, Suey Pig, The Skunk.